All right, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you uh, once again that we can come together uh, to worship you, to study your word, to fellowship with one another. And, um, Lord, as we uh, just continue our study of, of uh, Jesus' ministry on earth, God, I just pray that you would be with us, that you would uh, just open our eyes to to see things uh, more clearly, to understand what's going on, uh, what uh, Jesus' plans are, the way Jesus interacts with uh, various people. Uh, God, just that we would have a, a clearer uh, understanding of your character, of your love, your compassion. Um, and God, just that uh, as we study, that God, just that our hearts would be stirred with love and that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, work in us uh, through uh, the study of your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're continuing our study on the life of Jesus. And where we left off uh, last time, um, Jesus had spent some time in the area of Judea as well as uh, the area of Perea across the Jordan. Um, and continued to, to teach and to stir up controversy as well um, and was um, definitely causing the, the Jewish leaders to be very uncomfortable with Jesus. At one point, uh, we saw last week, they were prepared to stone him, uh, but he uh, it was not yet his time. And so he was in control of... Uh, when his death would come. And as we've seen, he knows that, that it's coming, right? Um, he will uh, soon be handed over, uh, mistreated, and will die. Uh, but it's going to happen at exactly the appointed time. So as we continue here, um, this is the point in which uh, Jesus uh, sets off for Jerusalem um, for the basically for the final time. So in uh, John chapter 11, verses 55 through 57, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. All right, so we've we've come to the, the period of the Passover. Um, can anybody tell me what, what the Passover is, what, what that festival is all about? Yes. So it's the celebration of uh, God saving them from the his wrath mm-hmm. when okay. they... When he killed all the firstborn Egyptians. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So the when the, the people of Israel were in Egypt and God sent the plague of the firstborn, um, the uh, they were to uh, sacrifice the Passover lamb and put the blood over the door. And then when the destroying angel came through and, and killed all the firstborn, he would pass over the houses of the people of Israel. And so... Uh, every year they celebrated this festival, um, and 
um, they were required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate it. This wasn't a, a festival that you could celebrate uh, just wherever you were. It was something you you had to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the the Passover feast. Um, and we can see that like people are gathering from all over and they're going there and they're you know they're thinking about Jesus. They're they're considering it's like, well, do you think he's going to show up? Um, how are the how are the Pharisees preparing for the Passover? What's that? Yeah, they're getting ready to kill him, right? They're they're actually like telling people, hey, if you see him, let us know because we want to go arrest him. So they're they're planning, they're expecting him to show up, and they're trying to you know get a little network of people that are gonna. Watch out for Jesus and let them know so that they can take care of things. And um, something that I think we've seen a little bit before and we're going to see as we continue on is that they really want to get rid of him because they're afraid. I mean, one of the reasons is because they're afraid that the there's going to be such a commotion that the Romans are going to um, come and they're going to they're going to basically take away what authority they have. So they're very concerned um, to get rid of him, but they're also concerned because he's so popular. And they're afraid that if they try to deal with him like in a big crowd, um, there's going to be a possibility that the crowd's going to riot. So they have to play this uh, very carefully. Um, we're going to hop over to, to Luke chapter 18. Um, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31. It says, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. Uh, this saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So once again, we see Jesus predicting his death. This is something that he's been doing repeatedly, uh, specifically with his disciples, you know, taking them aside and telling them privately. Um, ever since the time they were in the region of uh, Caesarea Philippi and Peter had proclaimed, you are the Christ. Uh, from that time on, Jesus had been telling them this. Um, but still, his, um, his disciples, they, they just didn't understand. Um, what do you think they might have been thinking when he said, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man and the prophets will be accomplished? Yeah? He's going to kill the Romans and all that. What's that? He's going to become the king. Yeah, he's going to become the king, right? That's that's the expectation, right? He's going to throw the Romans out. He's going to become king. It's like, we're going up to Jerusalem. This, is, this has got to be it, right? Um, but, of course, Jesus says, no, I'm... I'm going to be delivered over to the Gentiles to be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit upon, flogged, and crucified. And I'll see, he, he includes the, the prediction of his resurrection. But they're still not getting it. Um, and uh, there is perhaps even a hint of the sovereign work of God. It says that it was hidden from them uh, until after these things were accomplished. So, um, you know, how. However, it worked. You know, they, they weren't getting it, um, and, and you know it was in God's good purposes that they would not get it until all was over. 
because it all had to play out. Um, continuing on, uh, Luke uh, chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 1. And so he's he's beginning his, his travels here, and on his way to Jerusalem, he's got to go through Jericho. So he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay uh, at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Uh, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, so here, probably a fairly familiar story. Um, often hear the story of Zacchaeus. Um, now when we consider this, can we, can we determine... Um, whether or not Jesus and Zacchaeus had met before. Is there anything in the in the text that gives us any indication about that? Well, verse 3 seems to indicate that he had not because he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Right, yeah. That certainly is the way it sounds. It's like, you know, that they, they had never met before. Um, now, you know that when Jesus got up there, he knew uh, Zacchaeus' name. Now, perhaps he knew him by reputation. That's, that's always a possibility. But this could be another one of those instances where something miraculous is mentioned without, like, really, like, pointing out, hey, this is miraculous. It's just kind of a, along the way. It's like, yeah, Jesus knows the name of this guy, even though he's never met him. Um, so who was seeking who in this passage? This is a trick question. Depends if you're... Sorry. Say again. They were both seeking each other. They were both seeking each other. Yeah, that really is the right answer. Yeah, I mean, Zacchaeus was was seeking Jesus, but even though they didn't know each other, um, Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. Um, so he was he he had a a mission there to go and uh, and speak to Zacchaeus. Um, now, of course, he just tells Zacchaeus, "It's like, yeah, we're gonna." Um, I, I have to stay at your house. Um, how did the how did the people respond um, when they saw this going on? <laughs> yeah. They didn't like it. Yeah, they didn't like it. Uh huh. Any more detail? What? Jesus is uh, like. I'm sorry. Jesus is like going in with sinners. Yeah, Jesus is going in with sinners. So it's something we see that like we've seen this before is like 
Jesus will go and will spend time with sinners. Um, so, again, Jesus is offending certain people for uh, sensibilities about who he should associate with. Um, what was Zacchaeus' response uh, to his encounter with Jesus? One of repentance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know that by, um, you know, his willingness to actually obey God's law and mm-hmm. to do what he commanded. Yeah, yeah. So he, um, we see that he was repenting, and he he did actions that demonstrated that he was repentant. He, um, he brought forth the the fruits of repentance to take the the language of, of John the Baptist. Um, we also see, um, let's see, what is it in verse, do, 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 verse 6. Um, what other response do we see from Zacchaeus when we look in verse 6? see it? What was the question again? Z- uh, z- what, what was Z- Zacchaeus' response to, to Jesus? Oh, okay. I mean, we, we see a little later that he, you know, there was a, one of his responses was repentance. Um, what else do we see when we look at verse 6? received him joyfully. Yeah, he received him joyfully. Um, so, not uh, just a, like, oh, okay. Um, sure, we can go eat, but it was like, you know, there was there was some joy there. So, um, indication that, you know, the God was working on Zacchaeus. Um, now here, um, Jesus pronounces, you know, that salvation had come to, to his house. Um, and he has this... Um, this other phrase here that's that's interesting it says since he also is a son of Abraham. What does what does Jesus mean when he says that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham? He's a Jew. He's a Jew. Okay, that's possible. Weren't most people there in Jericho going to be Jews though? I think there might be something a little more to that than just that. Okay, he's a Jew. Any thoughts? He was a, a true son of God. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the Jews took pride in the fact that they were children of Abraham, but mm-hmm. in essence, he was sort of saying he's, he's truly a son of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, again, we think back to uh, John the Baptist, you know, where he said, don't begin to say to yourselves, we are the children of Abraham. Because God can raise up from the stones children for Abraham, and so there's there's something a little more special there. Uh, something uh, we see also that that Paul uh, deals with at length in the book of Galatians, uh, where he discusses this. Um, and just to just to cite a couple verses there in Galatians chapter three verse seven, uh, Paul says, "Know then that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham." 
and then in verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, in the context, Paul is actually talking about the fact that even Gentiles, even non-Jews, fall into this category. That if they are of faith, they are sons of Abraham. If they are in Christ, even as Gentiles, that they are Abraham's offspring. And so, um, there's there's something definitely more to it than simply Jesus saying, oh yeah, you're a Jew. Because probably everybody there was a Jew, or at least most everybody there was a Jew. Um, but Jesus is taking it further and saying, you really are a child of Abraham. Um, indicating that he is in Christ. Any other thoughts on Zacchaeus? Okay, we're going to hop over to Mark now. Mark chapter 10. This is a story that's um, told in in, uh, several of the Gospels. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, uh, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd... and, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, uh, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, uh, Take heart and get up, he is calling you. Uh, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So here we have the story of blind Bartimaeus. Um, Matthew lets us know that there was actually two men in Jericho that uh, had been healed of blindness, but Mark focuses specifically on Bartimaeus here. Now, when Bartimaeus finds out that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, what does he cry out? Yeah, son of David. Why does he call him son of David? This is Jesus of Nazareth. Is uh, the house of David, does that belong to the region of Nazareth? It's a most messianic reference. It's a messianic reference, right. Can you can you flesh that out? What does that mean? Uh, well, just that the Messiah was to come from the, the line of David. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was acknowledging that, you know, that's who Christ was. Right, so, yeah. So he's he's basically by calling him son of David, he's basically saying, I believe that you are the son of David that was prophesied, because the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be the son of David, that God would send forth the the son of David uh, to bring salvation. And so Bartimaeus is that's he's saying that that's who you are. You're the son of David. Um 
And then, um, so uh, Jesus restores his sight. He cures him of his blindness. And then after he does that, um, what does what does Bartimaeus do? Jesus tells him, um, you know, um, go your way. Your faith has made you well. What is what does Bartimaeus choose to do at that point? Follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, yeah. He doesn't doesn't just say, okay, I'm I'm cured now. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go about my business. But he then begins to to follow Jesus. Um, and Jesus here is continuing his his uh, road. Uh, up to Jerusalem. Um, now, after he leaves Jericho, he he goes on to Bethany. We're going to jump back over to uh, to the Gospel of John again, uh, John chapter twelve. We're going to begin in verse one there. John chapter twelve, verse one it says, six days before the Passover, Jesus uh, therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was." whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Uh, So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Many therefore took, sorry, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Um... Now this is also recorded in uh, in Mark and Matthew. Uh, they place it in a different uh, place in the in the story, and I guess there would be some debate about when this actually happened. Uh, just from my study of it, um, I think that John actually puts it in the the chronological place where it happens, and that Matthew and Mark actually um, are basically doing a little flashback, just because thematically it makes sense to to talk about this a little later. Um, but this seems to be before Jesus arrives at Jerusalem. Um, but anyway, just to just to bring out a couple more details, uh, Mark uh, mentions uh, that she broke the flask and poured it over his head, uh, and uh, also that Jesus said she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world. What she has done will be told in memory of her. And those are both from uh, Mark 14. So what's the significance of what's going on here with what Mary is doing? Any thoughts? Someone is uh, usually considered uh, something like kingship. King is usually kingship. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So what what did they do in the Old Testament when um, 
there was going to be a new king. They would anoint him with oil, right? Um, that's something, you know, if you if you look back, you can you can see like Samuel going and anointing people, and various other times as you read about the the kings of, of Judah and Israel, you see them being anointed uh, as king of Israel. Um, of course, Jesus uh, gives um, a slightly different take on what's going on. What, what does Jesus say about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, anointing him for burial. So, in a sense, he's kind of pointing the other direction. In a sense, right? Um, uh, I, I mean, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mary didn't quite get it either, you know, and was thinking, "It's like, yeah, you're the king. You're going up to Jerusalem. It's time to anoint you." Um, and but he ties it to his burial, to his death, because he knows that that's what's about to happen, and that's what has to happen, right? And that's. Uh, but is is that contrary to him becoming the the king of Israel? The idea of his of his going to his death. Not really. Not really. He's preparing no. the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. He's preparing the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's not it's not a kingdom of this world. It's not you know he's not going to go and uh, rule over the the physical city of Jerusalem, um, but it's going to be the spiritual kingdom that he is. Um, he is about to to take his place as uh, as the king of the kingdom of God, and that has to happen through death. That's the that's the path he has to take in order to accomplish this. Um, it's it's all just part of the divine plan. So, not that that Mary's intention is wrong, but um, and of course even then we don't know for sure exactly how much she understood and how much and exactly what her intention was. Uh, but it wasn't simply anointing the king who's about to take his throne, but it was that in addition to the idea of anointing for burial because it was going to be through suffering and death that Jesus was going to be glorified. And we see that this wasn't viewed completely favorably, was it? What what happened? At least not by Judas. At least not by <laughs> Judas, right? He's like, you could have could have sold that money. We could have given that money to the poor. Right, you know? right. <laughs> so I could steal it. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. He was like, man, we could have sold that, and look, man, the money bags would have been really big then. I could have just taken quite a bit out of there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Judas isn't, and it, you know, it flat out says it, Judas isn't complaining because he cares about the poor. Um, Judas is complaining because he was a thief. Um, I mean, what does, that, what does that say about... Um, I mean, I guess just like when we consider Judas, you know, and, and it's like we all know that Judas is going to betray him. That's, you know, obviously a well-known part of this story, even though we haven't got to it. And even John recognizes this is a well-known part of the story. Uh, he, he, I'm sure he doesn't think he's spoiling the ending for anybody. Um, but, 
what does this what does this tell us about um, about Judas's character? I mean, he's been traveling around with Jesus for years, seeing all these miracles. He doesn't believe. Yeah, he doesn't believe. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's not really, um, truly a follower of Jesus, right? He's he's uh, he's playing along um, because he gets some benefit out of it. He's using the gospel as a means for gain. Yeah, he's using the gospel as a means for gain. That's that is a great way to put it. Um, and uh, I mean, obviously, in the end, like when he betrays Jesus, that's that's his goal as well. It's like he's getting money out of it, so that's really um, that's really what he's after. But of course, Jesus knows this. I think it's in John six that um, that that's expressly stated that Jesus knows specifically what's going on with Judas. Uh, but it's all part of the divine plan, all part of the way that um, that God is going to accomplish redemption. It includes. Uh, having Ju- having Judas there to betray Jesus. That's interesting that Jesus never exposes him. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in his reply, he just addresses the whole issue of the poor. Mm-hmm. You, know, you always have them, but he never never exposes them. Right? Yeah, church. that is true. That is true. Um, and I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like even when we look at the Lord's Supper, you know, it's like it's not it's not real clear that he's you know letting them all know that Judas is the is the uh, the one who betrays so um so anyway fascinating little account there um as we continue on uh john chapter 12 beginning in verse 9 uh says when the large crowd of the jews learned that jesus was there they came not only account of him but also to see lazarus whom he had raised from the dead so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So here, this is this is slightly before um, Jesus actually enters Jerusalem. We're just about ready to hit the triumphal entry, um, but he's stopped over in Bethany um, and is spending a little bit of time there. And of course, that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus are. Um, so what's what's going on um, with the uh, with the chief priests, with the religious rulers? They're hearing that Jesus is in Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. What are they thinking? Let's go kill him. Yeah, let's go kill him. Um, and is it just Jesus that they want to kill? I'm sorry. His disciples too. Okay. Um, says something right here in the text, pretty specifically. Let's go, Lazarus. Also, because um, he rose from the dead. Pretty obvious sign. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, is Lazarus is a is a big target. It's like I mean, he's just a walking advertisement for the miraculous power of Jesus. Because it's like, okay, this guy died, was in the tomb for four days, and now anybody can just go walk up and talk to him and see, yep, you're alive. Um, 
So um, obviously that's, you know, and it's obviously it's very convincing for a lot of people, right? It says, uh, I mean, they're saying because on account of him, many of the Jews are going away and believing in Jesus. And so they're just like, gosh, we just got to get rid of him. And, but I mean, it's, it's just amazing. You think how hard do their hearts have to be, you know, to, to be it's like, okay, yeah, we're just going to, okay, we, we've already decided one guy has to die for the nation. Okay, now we've decided, okay, we, we need to up it to two people here. Uh, and they never stop and say, well, maybe, maybe he really is who he says he is. Ben? Well, I mean, it's, it's the rich man Lazarus. When the rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus back, sorry, not to confuse it with mentioning two Lazaruses, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, the, to rise from the dead, and they're like, you know, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, they're not going to believe even if a man rises from the dead. Mm-hmm. And they're walking proof of that right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, a man had risen from the dead, and they still just did not believe. Um, just so much evidence right there in front of them. Um, but they just refuse to accept it. They're hard to as hard as Jews. I'm sorry? They're just like their fathers. Yeah. Like yeah. Just just like their fathers, just always unbelieving. I think of like what Stephen said, you know, you're stiff necked just like your fathers. That's that's the way I mean, you know, God has always had his his people. Um, he's always had the the ones that wouldn't bow the knee to Baal. Um, but as a whole, you know, there's just the Jewish nation just continued to reject what God said to them over and over again. And we just see that um, here again, that these religious leaders, they're just right in their face. is so much evidence of Jesus being who he said he was. And they're ready to commit murder because... Well, this this just can't be true, and we're in a political situation that we have to deal with. So, a really really sad situation. Well, now we draw to the actual triumphal entry. Uh, going back to Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 29, uh, when he near when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you uh, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who went, uh, those, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, uh, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, uh, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. 
So we see here, um, again, well-known story. Um, usually, usually discuss it to some degree. You know, every every year uh, when we get to Palm Sunday. Um, and we see Jesus sending his disciples uh, ahead to get this colt. Um, what's significant about what's going on here? It's actually a couple things, but... Yeah, it's a, a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, yeah, uh, I didn't put it in my notes here, but I believe it's in Matthew and in John um, that they actually cite the prophecy um, that this would happen. Um, so there's a prophecy that the Lord is going to come um, riding on a uh, riding on a donkey, um, and so there's a fulfillment of prophecy here. Uh, what else is going on? He's entering Jerusalem. What's that? He's entering Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, which is where the king mm-hmm. is. And he's, he is entering at humble and mounted on a donkey, but there is a great throng of people. It's mm-hmm. it's looking pretty great from a mil, almost a military earthly perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And if you think even of the prophecy, the prophecy is, behold, your king comes yes. to you. So it's... Um, even though he is on a donkey, yeah, it's it's still definitely very much a picture of the king coming to Jerusalem. But it, but it wasn't so obvious that it caught the attention of the Romans, right. where they thought, okay, what's going on here? We need right. to squelch this. Right. Yeah. You know, it was sort of like a secret handshake type thing. Uh-huh. Only the Jews knew what was really right. going on. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly <laughs> true. It's like only only the Jews would have understood the significance, and probably a lot of them even didn't at the time even get the significance Um, but yeah for the Romans it's like well he's coming on a donkey I mean that's not lots of people are coming into town on a donkey it's probably probably no big deal if he you know if he come on a war horse you know or in a chariot or something like that they might have said oh wait what's this what's this guy doing you know coming as if for war and there's a whole crowd of people you know behind him you know calling him the king of the Jews you know that they probably would have been a little upset but uh, but apparently the the um, um, the uh, the Romans weren't uh, disturbed by this. Um, it's interesting, even when Jesus sends the disciples out. Um, do you think there's something special going on here when he sends them ahead and gives them these very special instructions? I mean, had Jesus arranged for this? Had he sent somebody ahead and said? Hey, have this colt ready for me. No, he, he just he knows. Yeah, divinely, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, another another demonstration of his miraculous power. You know, I mean, if if he made the arrangement, you know, it, it, I'm sure he would have told the disciples to say something a little different. It's like, oh, we're we're taking it for Jesus, like he said, like we arranged. You know, it's you know. It's, they're like, hey, what are you, what are you doing untying this colt? And Jesus even knew, you know, that, that people were gonna be like, hey, what are you doing? You know, um, you, you are you stealing that? Um, but uh, and you know, I'm sure that they were thinking. So we're just supposed to say, the Lord has need of it. 
I mean, you think like if you just like you know went out in the parking lot and you know got in somebody's car and started to drive away, they're like, hey, what are you, what are you doing with my car? It's like, oh, the Lord has need of it. You know, it's like, oh, okay, go ahead. You know, I mean, probably probably not going to happen. So, um, it is amazing even there that it's like they they accepted um, the explanation, but of course Jesus knew they would. So. Um, and so they're on their way down um, down the Mount of Olives um, into Jerusalem, fulfillment of prophecy, the king uh, coming uh, humble, riding on a colt. Um, and the people, you know, they're shouting, uh, I don't remember if it says here, Hosanna in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Maybe it doesn't actually say Hosanna in the Gospel of Luke, but... Um, but uh, and they're also they're uh, they're crying out, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord." Um, so they're they're right there proclaiming him uh, to be King. Um, how do the uh, how do the Pharisees respond when they see this going on? They recognize that it's. This is pretty powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. And as you said, it, it, Matthew mentions Hosanna and the highest Hosanna to the son of David as part of what they're trying to. Right now, they're proclaiming it to the Messiah, pretty much God at this point. So, like, you need, you need to stop this. Right. Now, yeah. yeah, they're telling Jesus, you, you, need to, you need to shut these people up. They're just, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they're basically, like, this is, this is on the level of blasphemy here. Um, so they're very upset, and they're telling Jesus to get his disciples under control. Um, how does Jesus respond? It's very interesting. Yeah? So he said that if these were silent, then the rocks would say, cry out. Yeah. What does that mean? Why, why would Jesus say that? I mean, in a sense, we have to speculate here because it doesn't. There's no. There's no direct explanation in scripture, but I think we can. I think we can safely speculate here. I, this is a moment of true power. Jesus coming in, yeah. and he's. He, this is where he is openly proclaiming who he is. Uh-huh. He's been telling people over and over again, "Don't say who I am." Mm-hmm. He's now proclaiming who he is. Yeah. In a sense, yeah, the rocks themselves very much could cry out mm-hmm. just at the greatness of this moment. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, he's openly proclaiming himself, um, and this—I mean, this is just a moment that history has been moving toward, you know, for all of history. And Jesus coming as King to Jerusalem—it's something that I think, in a sense, you could say it's just something that won't go without praise. Um, and so if you don't have people to do it, the stones will do it. It's, it's something that um, that is going to be praised uh, one way or another. Um, so, it, I mean, it's definitely interesting the, the way that, that Jesus responds because uh, he has been very secretive, you know, up to this point about, um, about what's going on. You know, he's like, don't tell people who I am, you know. But now he's just like, like hey, they're saying you're this guy. And he's saying, yeah. And if they didn't, the stones would do it. Um, 
So I'm sure that that didn't go over very well uh, with the Pharisees. Um, looking at a parallel passage in, in John uh, chapter 12, verse 19, uh, says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that uh, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So they're, you know, they're looking at this, and it's like, we're, we're just not getting anywhere. It's like, everybody's following him. Um, then back in, in Luke again, um, uh, chapter 19, verse 41. Um, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So what do we learn here in this passage? Any thoughts? That a little too open-ended, maybe? Well, there's there's definitely the idea that uh, what Christ has done to come to bring peace, they can't see. And that's something that's that's been hidden from their eyes. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and God's judgment will will come upon His people one day. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. The, it's it's hidden from them, um, and God's judgment is coming. Um, is there a specific judgment He's referring to here? It would seem to be the destruction of the Jerusalem Temple. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely definitely seems to be a, a prediction um, or foretelling of the uh, of the dru- destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Um, I mean, he just he gets kind of specific. Yeah, your enemies will set up barricades around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, uh, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Uh, which is, I mean, that's what they—it's what they did to the to the temple when the when the Romans came in 70 A.D. and they destroyed everything. They they tore the the temple down, uh, stone for stone. And we see, um, you know, Jesus doesn't—he doesn't say this. Well, I guess I should ask the question: What's what's Jesus's attitude as he's describing this? Sorrowful. Yeah, sorrowful. Yeah, he's weeping. Yeah. Um, God does not uh, delight in the destruction of the wicked. He uh, does not delight in, um, I mean, in a sense, like this, this gets back to, you know, the attributes of God, but um, he doesn't delight in uh, bringing suffering on his creation. Um, there is a sense in which he does delight in justice being done, and so he is pleased to pour out his wrath on those who deserve it, but uh, he also, at the same time, just does not delight in 
pouring out his wrath on on people. Um, but we, I mean, we see a little bit of that uh, difficult to understand aspect of God's character in this. Um, but yeah, Jesus is is weeping over Jerusalem, uh, almost as if he wished that they that they did see what was going on. Um, but um, obviously, for the the plan of redemption to go forward. Um, this had to happen this way, where the people were uh, ultimately blind to what was happening. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified him, and then we would all go to hell. Um, so, any other thoughts on that? I'm going to turn over to Mark, Mark chapter 11. So here Jesus enters Jerusalem. I'm just going to read one verse here, Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 11. It says, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he'd just been in Bethany. Um, and then he, he came to Jerusalem. Uh, there was the big procession as he was entering Jerusalem and people calling out um, and he enters Jerusalem and he goes to the temple and what does he do when he gets to the temple around and leaves mm-hmm. he looks around and then he leaves um, kind of interesting I mean you like you got all this big build up here um, and Jesus comes in and you know he goes to the temple and he looks around and then he leaves. Um, any thoughts on that? I mean, it's not it's not explained. So again, we can only kind of speculate there. But I, mean, I keep thinking from Judas's perspective, he's like Jesus keeps predicting he's going to die. He's not taking advantage of all this buildup he got, mm-hmm. and he's just laying all the ways to people are like the. the Elders are going against him. Pharisees are going against him. He just doesn't know he's about to get out of here. Well, I'm sorry. What was that last he, part? That, he, Jesus is probably thinking he just doesn't know what he's about. He's not striking while the iron's hot. I've got to get out while the getting's good. Mm-hmm. And it, it, yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. Like, from his perspective, it's like this. What's the point of all this? Uh-huh. But, yeah. 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 Jesus, I'm sure, was was definitely puzzling a lot of people. Um, I mean the the uh, kind of the, the first thing that's mentioned that he does in the temple is he does the the cleansing of the temple, a well known uh, well known uh, story, um, and I, I believe even in Mark and Luke it just leads right into that, um, or sorry in Matthew and Luke it just leads right into that. But Mark lets us know that that didn't actually happen the day that he arrived. Um, he waited another day before he, a uh, day or two, I suppose, before he did that. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know. It it might be interesting to to think about like what would have happened if he had just gone straight in and cleansed the temple right there, like right after he'd just you know been led in by this procession of people. Um, you know, it might have it might have gotten a little bit more out of hand. 
Um, but it is interesting just to think about that the king finally comes and he comes to his his temple. The Lord has come to his temple, and he looks around and you know I'm sure he saw what was you know he sees the all the the marketplace going on at that point. Um, but for the time, he just leaves. It's it's getting late and he just go ahead and goes back out uh, to Bethany with the twelve. Well, that um, is basically the, the the triumphal entry section of the Gospels. There, um, next week we're going to look at as uh, Jesus begins actually interacting with a whole bunch of people in Jerusalem at the at the Passover festival. Um, any final thoughts or questions about anything we've talked about? Well, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we just uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the insights we have into your character and, and just how difficult it is for us to, to fully grasp. Um, and uh, God, what a, what a glorious thing to, to think about the scenes of you uh, coming and... Uh, coming to your city, coming as king, uh, and the praise that is due to you uh, being shouted out. And um, Lord, we do look forward to the day when uh, your kingdom will be consummated, when you will return again, and uh, that everything will be uh, set in order. And uh, God, just that we will have uh, final victory over our own sinful desires and propensities and uh, now that we will just be in that new Jerusalem uh, where you will wipe every tear from our eyes uh, where there will be no more mourning, crying or pain Um, and uh, God we just thank you uh, for your great mercy toward us that you have not blinded our eyes to these things but that you have uh, chosen us, that you have sought us out that you have uh, given us your mercy. And uh, God, I just pray that we would continue to live lives that are uh, that are in line with what you have called us to do as your people. I pray these things in Christ's name.